The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Toys, movies, comics, and so much more. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And the more that you listen, the more that you know. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Sam State Detective Agency. Ahoy! It's me. Just came ashore. From what? A boat? A ship, Effie. A ship. Anything over 400 gross tons is a ship. Anybody knows that. May I inquire what was your... Port of call? Calcutta. My, that was a quick trip. Well, Effie, I'll tell you, I got so homesick for you, I couldn't stand it, so I assembled my gear and jumped ship. Why, Sam, how sweet. A faster, gal. I'll be right down to dictate my report. Bon voyage, Effie. I've been worried sick. Where have you been? On my way to Calcutta, sweetheart, where the dawn comes up like thunder. Sam, what are you talking about? Calcutta? And the flying fishes play. Ready, Effie? Sam, why did you want to go to Calcutta of all places? I didn't, Effie. I hate Calcutta. I was Shanghai. <sighs> to, uh, Mr. Philip J. Fogg, purser, S.S. Urine. How do you spell that, Sam? L-U-R-E-N-E. Oh, that's pretty. Sam, how could you be shanghaied in this day and age? I mean, isn't it against the law? Stow it, Effie. You're pumping bilge water. Sam, I am not. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596, when you have the time, regarding the Calcutta trunk caper. Dear Mr. Fogg, the following report will explain the enclosed voucher, which is a claim against your company for the amount of $500 and no cents. It will also answer any questions you might be asked concerning the recent unpleasantness on board your ship. It all started yesterday morning in San Francisco when my secretary announced briefly and caustically that there was a lady outside who wanted to talk to me. I judged that she was worth talking to. She was. Your secretary let me in. Well, I'm glad she did. What can I do for you? I'm Marsha Hopkins. I see. Mrs. Marsha Hopkins. I see. However, my husband is dead. I see. It's about my sister that I've come to you, Mr. Spade. I'm dreadfully worried about her. Uh, who's your sister? Miss Constance Pendleton. And she's become involved with a, a ne'er-do-well, a completely worthless scoundrel and a real foreign bluebeard. All three? It's one man, Mr. Spade, a Bulgarian, Major Andrea Rodnik. They're going to be married this afternoon, and I'm positive that his only interest is in her money. I'm convinced that he's going to kill her soon after the ceremony. He's done it to other wives in Europe. I've warned Constance and pleaded with her, done everything I could to stop it. But she's completely infatuated with him and refuses to listen to me. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to do? Prevent the marriage, if you can. Get the truth about Rodnik's background and face Constance with it. Oh, Mr. Spain, in some way you've got to make her realize the seriousness of the situation. He's a ruthless character. <clears throat> well, do what I can, Mrs. Hopkins. Oh, thank you, Mr. Spade. Oh, I've felt so alone and helpless uh, until now. Oh, really? 
But you will do everything you can, won't you? We've got to save her life. She daubed at her eyes with a stamp-sized handkerchief, patted the red-gold hair at her temples nervously, smiled at me bravely, and swayed out. By telephone, I learned that the Vrodnik Pendleton marriage license had been issued four days before, and that on the same day, Constance Pendleton had withdrawn a savings account to the tune of $45,000. I'd always wanted to, so I did it. I uh, called at the Bulgarian consulate. What can I do on you? What do you know about Major Andrea Vrodnik? Ha! Andrea Vrodnik! On him we have hate, great sadness, with shame for the ground that walked under him. Oh? Ha! Andrei Vrodnik! Uh, why is he so popular? On the devil he is driven without horns. Six women he has killed. Six times he has insulted the police of Europe by refusing to confess. We have proof of the murders, but never can we prove the proof on him. Yeah, sometimes it goes that way. Ha! Never do we find the bodies of the six women. Only their money in the name of Andrea Vrodnik. My pardon. Well, think nothing of it. You're, uh, you're just upset uh, on you. You're interested on him. Why? You go to Europe? No, uh, Vrodnik comes here. Ah, here? Here on San Francisco? He marries again? So I'm told. Ah, oh, by all the means, you must prevent it. Go to him, brave man. You do the world a service. Make violence on him. Even do you hang for it, your name will live. <laughs> Those valiant words goading me on, I left. The farther I got into the caper, the more it looked as if Marsh's fears for Constance Pendleton were very real and very well-founded. When uh, Constance opened the door of her hotel suite, I could see three trunks and a number of smaller pieces of luggage, all locked and ready to be taken out. Yes? Hey, Constance Pendleton? Yes? Uh, I'm a detective. My name is Spade. Detective? What do you want? I uh, want to talk to you about that bluebeard you're going to marry. Get out of here. Uh, you listen, I'll talk, and then I'll get out of here. I just left the Bulgarian consulate. Vrodnik has been accused of the murders of six women in Europe. Each of them were wealthy. Each of them married him, and each time Vrodnik came into all their money. Are you trying to blackmail me because of the lies about my fiancé's past? If you are, you're wasting your time. Well, no matter what I'm doing, I'm wasting my time. But to put you straight, your sister hired me, and I am now resigning. She's worried about you, not me. Then you should spend more time investigating your clients, Mr. Spade. You could have saved both of us some time. I have no sister. This is my wedding day. Goodbye, Mr. Spade. As I left the room, I maintained the stern facial expression I reserved for moments of great shock. But once outside the door, I allowed myself to be carried on the wave of rage and embarrassment for just a minute. And I kicked over two potted palms. As I uh, limped down the corridor, I was overtaken by none other than Marcia Hopkins. Did you see her? Let's talk about you first. Did you stop the marriage? Why did you really want that marriage stopped? But I told you. You told me you were her sister. Oh. She said she didn't have any sister. All right, Sam, I did lie to you about that. But I'll tell you who I really am. I don't want to know who you are. I don't ever want to know. All I want from you is my honestly earned fee and a brief but permanent goodbye. Oh, no, Sam, please listen to me. We've got to save that girl. I have $500. That's all I have. 
Would it be enough? What's your real name? Marshal Brodnick. Yes, he's my husband. I've been married to him for ten years. We've traveled all over Europe, and I never knew where the money was coming from. He left me at times for two weeks or a month, and then when he'd come back, there'd be more money. I just realized that that's when he must have been killing those poor women. And I know that's what he's going to do this time. I just can't stand it. You've got to protect her. That should be easy. We'll let him get married and meet him at the door with a bigamy warrant. Then you will see me through this. I might. Oh. In my bag, there's $500. Take it. If we can't stop the marriage, then don't let him out of your sight. Not even for a minute. He's a beast, Sam. A beast. Marcia dropped me in front of the Beast's Hotel, and I climbed some fake marble steps to the second floor and knocked at his door. The man who opened it was heavy, handsome, in a swarthy, coarse sort of a way, and glowing conceit through two eyes, one monocled, one not. You are facing Major Andreev Rodnik, first Bulgarian horse. What want you? You are facing Saul Fox of the law firm of Fox, Smedley, Van Dusen, and Grip. You overwhelmed yourself. I came here to warn you. If you go through with a marriage to Constance Pendleton, you're going to find yourself tangled with civil law. Warn Andreev Rodnik, who has personally led more saber charges than you have teeth in your skull. Yes. Who has personally split, slashed, and impaled on his own blade more men than you have fingers and toes. You warn me. What is this talk? You're going to have a bigamy charge slapped on you five minutes after you slip her the ring. The warrant signed by Mrs. Marsha Vrodnik. Bigamy? Ha! I laugh. This is not bigamy. Marsha's your wife, isn't she? That bigamy was committed when I married her. I had another wife then. You call yourself a lawyer, then you know that only the second marriage is bigamy. The ones following that are nothing, nothing but interludes. Okay, Major, go ahead and have your interlude. I'm just warning you. Oh, speaks. We are being married on Redwood City from a justice of the peace one hour previous. Then we are sailing through the SS Lurin at midnight with our honeymoon. Already a drushki awaits for the baggage and luggage. Go now before I'm losing my temper. If you're ever in Calcutta, look me up. Da. I could see the direct approach was getting me nowhere, so I decided to proceed by stealth. I waited outside the building, and when he left, I tailed him. He made four stops. At a second-hand store, a hardware store, a surgical supply house, and an undertaker supply house. At these places, he purchased the following items. An oversized steamer trunk, black with brass fittings, a large ball of rope twine, two large lead sash weights, a set of surgical instruments, and at the fourth and final stop, the undertaking supply, he bought two items, a 20-foot length of rubber tubing and a pump. He returned to the second-hand store with his other purchases, put them inside the trunk, and ordered it sent up to Constance's hotel immediately, and thereupon, it took himself to the same place. Marsha was waiting in the empty lobby when he went in. I crouched behind a pillar, turned up my hearing aid, and listened. Did you get the thing? Yeah. Now listen, my darling, we must work fast. Yes. As soon as the trunk arrives, before she has a chance to get to yes, the telephone... Yes, Andre, but please, no cutting in the apartment. <sighs> As you wish, my darling. Now, you know, you know what you have to do. Yes, While I'm getting her into the trunk, you'll change her clothes, put on her traveling dress, the hat with the... Wet. What is it? What's the matter? Nothing, nothing. 
Come, we must make haste. They made haste to the elevators, and I made haste to the row of house telephone booths around the corner and called Constance's room. Hello? Mrs. Rodnick? Speaking. Listen, get out of that room right away. Don't take the elevator. Get down the stairs. Who is this? What are you talking about? I haven't got time to explain, and you haven't got time to listen. All those stories about your husband are true. He's going... My hand clawed out Hello? to the door handle, but I couldn't reach it. I felt as if the walls were closing in around me, and just Can before it got dark, I had the crazy me? notion that I was inside Brodnick's big black trunk with the brass fittings. I could still hear Constance's voice way off in the distance, somewhere in the direction of Calcutta. I tried to shout to her, to warn her, and then the lid closed over me. I shook my head trying to get the bells out of it. Then I remembered where I was and what had happened. I was still wedged into the bottom of a phone booth where I'd slumped when Brodnick sat me. I got out of there somehow and grabbed a taxi for the Embarcadero. The time was 11.55. The SS Lorraine was scheduled to sail at midnight. no sooner across it than they hauled up the gangplank and the ship started moving out of the berth. I didn't know where she was bound for and I didn't much care. I checked the passenger list and found that Major and Mrs. Andrea Vrodnik were in stateroom 12, A deck. One minute later, I was hammering on the door of stateroom 12. The woman in Vrodnik's stateroom was Constance and she was not in a trunk. I thought I told you to stop interfering in our affairs. Yeah, your husband told me to, but I didn't like the way he did it. Get out from here, get out! I see you got your trunk in here where it's handy. Doesn't it make the stateroom kind of crowded? Why don't you give up, Mr. Spade? Two times already, you are twice a fool. Marsha has no money to pay you, neither have I, even if she had the case. And believe me, she has not. Oh, why do you even bother talking to him, Andre? Mr. Well, Spade, will you go now, or will I have to call the steward and make a complaint against you? I went. I still thought Marsha Hopkins was somewhere on that ship. I still didn't like the look of that trunk. I found the purses office and went in. You looked at me as if you thought I was a stowaway, Mr. Fogg, and you were right. Well, I don't have to make arrangements for you to ride back with a pilot, Mr. Spade. You realize, of course, that you're subject to a fine. Look, I don't want to do anything illegal. You know, it was uh, just an impulsive thing. Uh, couldn't I book a passage? Oh, well, there's a the matter of your passport. Could arrange a visa and so on in St. Pedro. We'll put in there in the morning. Well, that's good enough. Uh, how much is the fare? Oh, let me see. That's $483.87, exclusive of tax. Oh, uh, hey, now, wait, I wasn't thinking of taking quite such an extensive voyage, you know. I just wanted to get a little sea air. And, uh, how much to Pedro? Well, I'm afraid you don't understand, Mr. Spade. This is not a coastwise steamer. Our first official port of call is Calcutta. Yeah, I know, but Calcutta... That's in India. Well, uh, uh, don't you have something a little less expensive, like uh, steerage or... Uh... There is only one stateroom available, number 14A deck. Take it or leave it. Okay, okay, Calcutta. (laughs) 
After buying my passage to Calcutta, I had exactly 12 cents left. This I gave to the steward who showed me to my stateroom. He uh, thanked me, kicked me in the shins, and left. Out on deck, a tall, red-nosed old gentleman in knickerbockers and a yachting cap was taking a turn around the deck. With him was a face I'd seen in the morning lineup down at the Hall of Justice a dozen times. He was a hotel thief by profession, name of Norman Gorman. He knew me, too, but he didn't give me a tumble. I fell into step with him. Ah, CL. <laughs> Nothing like it, am I right? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's okay, but there's so much of it. Ah, uh, brisk, bracing, salt spray. Nothing like it. <laughs> uh, hey, Norman, my lad. <laughs> I hate it. I hate boats. Suppose there was a fire on board. Fire? Oh, ridiculous. Were this your first voyage to the Orient? Yeah. Uh, the inscrutable East. You've made this trip before? Oh, yes, indeed. I've worked this line. I, I mean, uh, yes, indeed. I make this voyage very often. Business interest out in India. Tea, you know. Runs in my family. Sturgis's golden orange in the little yellow package. Ever tried it? Uh, no, I never indulge. Huh? Don't drink tea. That's ridiculous. Commodore, I need a drink. I ain't happy. Suppose there was a fire on board here. Ah. Well, let's all have a drink. Yeah, suppose there was Shall a fire. Shall we? Come on, I'll shout you to a drink, sir. Uh, not me, Commodore. I, uh, just remember this is Fire Prevention Week. The nearest fire alarm to Vrodnik's stateroom was on the companionway leading to the A-deck corridor. It was a glass-enclosed box with a small hammer hanging on a chain. I broke the glass and turned the key. In three seconds flat, the entire population of A-deck were shoving each other up the companionway, grabbing for life preservers as they went. The steward hammered on the door of stateroom 12, opened it, shouted inside, and Brodnick and Constance reluctantly came out. I ducked inside, grabbed the handle of the trunk, and started dragging it. When I got it into my stateroom, I broke the lock and lifted the lid. It was Marsha, all right. There was just time to see that before the stateroom door flew open and the ship's officer stuck his head in. Why, uh, no, I didn't. What's wrong? Never mind that. Here, take this life preserver. Get going Okay, now. okay. On. Don't touch me. It makes me nervous. Twenty minutes later, the captain announced to the mob up on the deck that it was a false alarm, and the passengers drifted back to their cabins. I tried to look casual as I unlocked my stateroom door and walked in. Then I stopped trying. The trunk was still there, but the lid was standing open, and it was empty. I went down to B-deck and found the cabin occupied by Norm and the Commodore. That door was locked, so I kicked it in. You could still see the marks on her wrists and ankles with the cord. It was the girl I had seen in the trunk. It was Marsha Hopkins, and she was very much alive. I'm sorry, I thought it was... Oh, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You've got to help me, Sam. Why should I help you? He's crazy. They're both crazy. It all depends on who's in the trunk, doesn't it, Marsha? When it was Constance, you didn't think he was so crazy. Oh, don't you understand? I had to pretend that I'd help him. He was going to kill her right there in the hotel room. I told him it was too dangerous. If anybody looked in the trunk, it would be safer if she was in there alive. We finally agreed and said he'd wait until we got out to sea to kill her. And then he was... Yeah, I know to... about that. Oh, the idea was so awful, I, I couldn't stand it. 
I started to scream, and then he stuffed the gag in my mouth and tied me up. He must have used chloroform or something, because the next thing I knew, I, I was in the trunk. And that little dark man was leaning over me. He and that old man with the knickers. They brought me here. <laughs> no, they pulled a switch on you. You were the fall gal all along. Oh, you've got to believe me. It was the only way I could save her life. You're the only one I can turn to, Sam. That little thief and the old man, they'd deliver me dead if there was an extra $25 in it. Oh, say you'll help me, Sam. Please say it. When you ask me like that, what, what else can I say? Oh, you do believe me, darling. You do believe me. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm sorry, Mr. Spade. Please step back inside. <clears throat> I promised my associate, Mr. Gorman, that I would not allow this young lady to risk her life by leaving this cabin. You're getting into this cave at the wrong end, Commodore. It's wound up. They've bungled it. It's no good anymore. You may be right. But you understand my position, sir. I can't take any chances. You've uh, talked to Mr. Gorman? Norm? Yeah, I talked to him. He took you into his confidence? Stop making with the pistol, Commodore. You don't know how to use it anyway. Oh, heavens, Norm, you... You're as white as a sheet. What is it? Oh, he he's sick. Go go get a doctor. Yes, yes, indeed. Right away. Listen, Spade. Take her with you. Get out of here. I don't want no part of this. You got it bad, Norm. I'm sick, I tell you. The way I had it sized, this was a clean caper, a snatch. I figured the dame here's an heiress or something. Maybe they drop her off in L.A., correct some, connect some ransom and go on. I, I figured there was enough for all of us. Oh, but that creep, that Rodnick, he's crazy. He's a regular Jack the Ripper. Stop babbling, Norm. Tell me what happened, exactly what happened. I get a sinking feeling in my stomach every time I think about it. Well, I go in, see? He's very smooth, very businesslike. He offers me a drink. I accept it. He mixes a couple of highballs for me and the dame, then he starts talking. I guess she don't know all about it before this, because she gets just sick as I do. First, I think he's kidding. Then he drags out this set of cutlery like a doctor uses to operate on people. Only he's got... Something else in mind. The portal, you understand? Oh, I don't want to hear anymore. Being as it's you he has in mind, I don't blame you. <laughs> my my stomach. <laughs> hey, Norm. Norm. Oh. Here he is, the ship surgeon. Uh, oh, dear me. What? 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 Uh, uh, stand away from him, please. Help me get him into the bunk. Sure, Doctor. <sighs> Take the shade off that light, please. Ah, uh, yes, yes. He's dead, isn't he? Oh, yes, he's dead, of course. Who poisoned him? I didn't waste any time answering him. I grabbed him by the arm. Before he could object, I was pushing him up the companionway to A-deck. It was probably too late to save Constance's life if she'd drunk the same poison, and I was pretty sure she had, but if I was going to nail him for the murder of Constance, I had to get there before the evidence vanished. We got there just in time. <laughs> I don't need to tell you what we saw. And I'd rather not. Frodnick rose slowly to his feet, clicked his heels military fashion, and bowed very low. Ah, the ship's surgeon. How opportune. Perhaps you could advise me, doctor. After all, I am, in all honesty, even still a mere amateur at this sort of thing. <laughs> After Frodnick had been taken into custody, we took another turn around the deck. It was daylight, and the ship was lying to off San Pedro. This time, the fresh air really felt good, and so did Marcia. It's all over, Sam. Yes, sweetheart, it's all over. But not between us. Say it, Sam. 
say it's not all over between us. How can it be? I knew it. I knew you felt the same way. All my life before, it's been like a terrible nightmare. Never really happened. But it did happen, sweetheart. Oh, but you can forget it, darling, can't you? Please forget it. I'd like to, Marcia. I really would. Hold me close, Sam. Never let me go. You're beautiful. Is that all, Sam? Nothing else? Yeah. Lots else. That's why I think we'd better say goodbye right now. Because when I feel like this, I get foolish. And if I get foolish with you, I'm likely to wake up in a trunk someplace. And that, Mr. Fogg, is the true account of the Calcutta trunk caper. As my voyage was interrupted through no fault of my own, I trust you will advise your company to refund my passage minus the one-way trip to San Pedro. Uh... Period and a report. Sam Spade Detective Agency. This is Mad Scientific Detective Number One Three Seven Five Nine Six. Sam, no matter what anyone says, I'll stand by you. You're nothing of the sort. Not scientific. Of course not. You're too fisted. Well, thanks, Effie, and that ain't all, Effie. I was actually mistaken for a convolutional melancholiac. Oh, Sam, are you all right now? Wrong diagnosis, Angel. It turned out to be melancholia catatonica. Oh, you poor darling. What is that? Well, it's a thing where you lie motionless and silent with fixed eyes and indifference to surroundings, unquote. Sam, what happened to you? What hospital are you in? Can I bring you anything? No, Effie, I am now at large. Pull down the blinds, check the corridors for men in little white coats, and set a bottle in the window if the coast is clear. Oh. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the mad scientist caper. Effie! Come in, Sam. The coast is clear. Where are you? Why is it so dark in here? Well, I had to put the lights out. The blind's stuck. I couldn't get it down. The heat's off, Effie. Let there be light. Oh. Oh, I'm so glad. Now, let me look at you. Don't look at me like that and stop whispering. Oh, Sam. Did you get me all upset like that just for a joke? It's no joke, sweetheart. You really sick? Yeah, just sick of some of the types I made in this business. Oh, Sam. Uh... Date, uh, July 25, 1948, to Detective Lieutenant Dundee, Homicide Detail, San Francisco Police, from Samuel Spade, License Number 137596, subject, The Mad Scientist Caper. I worry so. Ah, dear Dundee, he, uh, looked like a mad scientist, and that's exactly what he was. His eyes had a wild gleam in them, his hair was a wild tangle, and he was wearing a wild assortment of clothing that looked as if they'd been slept in in shifts. He leaned across the desk at me and said, They have stolen my secret formula. They have? Gee, that's too bad. Oh, you think I'm crazy? I don't know yet. I just met you. My name is Raymond Fox. Did that mean anything to you? Raymond Fox, uh, yeah, I think it does, but I don't quite remember what. I invented the helioscope. Helioscope. No, that wasn't it. I also synthesized hydroxylamide photocranitone. 
That was it. Yes, but unfortunately, production costs were prohibitive. Uh huh. But you didn't let that discourage you. Oh, no, 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 indeed. You see, after a brief illness, I was back in my laboratory, perfecting my greatest contribution to science. What may prove to be the greatest contribution of science to humanity. I call it Penetron. Penetron. That is what they have stolen. The secret formula for Penetron. Penetron, huh? Now, uh, what exactly is Penetron, Mr. Fox, and who are they? Uh, well, Penetron is a plastic with a molecular structure which repels atomic radiation more efficiently than lead, yet weighs less than aluminium. Oh, that. Do you realize the significance of this? Well, uh... And imagine, imagine a motor no larger than a cigar box with a power potential that even I don't believe but they do. Who's they? Grierson Enterprises. Now, how do I know this? When I applied to the patent office to perfect my discovery, I received this letter. Here, go on, read it for yourself. Uh, Commissioner of Patents, Washington, D.C. Uh, dear Mr. Fox, your application for patent on formula designated under the trade name Penetron is hereby rejected. Ah, you see. Both formula and trade name, together with descriptive material identical to yours, have been registered by Mr. Albert Grierson, Grierson Enterprises, San Francisco. Oh, huh. Very truly yours, George Sherman, Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see? Uh, yes. You don't need a detective, Mr. Fox. What you need is a good patent lawyer. Lawyer? Ha, I have one. A legal ball of fire named Roscoe Manning. You know this scoundrel? Yeah, he's got an okay reputation. And I am paying for it. $3,000 in retainers. And now he tells me he can do nothing. Insufficient evidence, he says. What is this outfit, Grierson Enterprises? Yeah, a snare and a delusion with, with rented furniture, unscientific ventilation, and dirty work at the switchboard. Mm-hmm. How did they get hold of your formula? Well, it must have been while I was ill. They came and took it away. Out of your laboratory? Oh, well, what did it matter? Where? I've got to start someplace. Start with the man. I promise you he's a crook. If he steals from me, he's stolen from others. If we can prove that, then I have a case. Well, I can't promise you anything, Mr. Fox, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, uh, will $100 be enough for your retainer? Too much. 25 now on the balance if I can do anything for you. I doubted if I could even earn the 25 but if he wanted to gamble, it was okay with me. The officers of Greer's and Enterprises were pretty much as he described them, a beautiful front, especially at the switchboard. Grierson Enterprises, good afternoon. No, Mr. Grierson's out of town. No, I don't know when to expect it. I'll be right with you. That's good news. Grierson Enterprises? No, he is not. No, I do not, and he doesn't want to talk to you in any case, Mr. Manning. Oh, if it would just stop. Can't you shut it off? I might as well. Nobody seems to believe me anyway. You aren't looking for him, too, I hope. Oh, please, just tell me you're selling magazines or collecting salvage or just anything. My card. Oh, detective. Mr. Grierson hasn't done anything, has he? That's what I want to find out. My client says he swiped his secret formula. Oh, not that maniac. You don't look the type. You know he's mad, don't you? Maybe yes, maybe no. Personally, I'm crazy about money. Mad money, pin money, or dirty money. Uh, your employer didn't happen to leave any lying around, did he? No, but he has a charge account at a bar downstairs in the building, and it's nearly five o'clock. Could you cross-examine me there? I thanked her as gallantly as I could under the circumstances. She said, wait here, I won't be in a minute. And while she was gone, I made a quick frisk of the office. The file cabinet was empty. Grierson's desk contained nothing but two unsharpened pencils, tobacco crumbs, a rubber band, some rusty paper clips, an old gas bill, a glass ampule, broken, 
labeled sodium denadrine for intravenous injection, and a business card from one Roscoe Manning, attorney at law. I stuck the card in my pocket, went back to the switchboard, and in less time than it takes to tell, I was calling her Lois, and she was calling me Sam over cocktails for two. That's all I know about it. I didn't think anything about his taking his correspondence out of the files. He often took work home with him. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you saw him? Oh, it's been nearly six weeks. You haven't heard from him in all that time? Mm. He was with Mr. Fox just before he left. They had a terrible quarrel. But then Mr. Grayson managed to get him calmed down, and they left the office together. And that's the last time you saw Grayson? Huh? Yes, and it's all very strange. What did that maniac tell you? That Grayson swiped his invention. Do you believe that? I didn't even believe in the invention. Now I'm beginning to think it was worth stealing. Oh, Mr. Grierson wouldn't. He's a brilliant man, you know. Uh, what else has he invented? Well, I don't know. He always had a lot of projects, but of course he never took me into his confidence. Just exactly what is your job? Oh, it's quite simple, really. I just tell people he's an in. Yeah. Look, uh, sweetheart, you really mean to tell me it never occurred to you that there might be something slightly fishy about Grierson Enterprises? I know. Why should it? Because there's a smell of red herring up there. It's in the air. You mean Mr. Grayson's a crook? Well, what does that make me? Worry that out on his time. Drink up. She looked as if she were telling the truth. Though with women, especially blue-eyed women, that doesn't always mean anything. If she had anything more to tell, she obviously wasn't ready yet to tell it. I asked her to come up and listen to my Herb Jeffries records. She said my apartment needed a woman's touch. I handed her a broom. She hit me on the head with it and left. And so to bed. Up the times and phoned my client. He wasn't in. Then I phoned a guy I know who sometimes knows about things and asked him what sodium denadrine was. He said it was a sedative and or truth serum, a mental type drug. I wondered what Grierson had been using it for during office hours. I also wondered what else he'd been spending money for. I phoned another guy who knows about other things, and he called me back with the name of Grierson's bank, Golden Gate Trust. An hour later, to my surprise, I actually had something to go on. Because in the past six weeks, checks totaling 50000 bucks had been deposited to Grierson's account, all drawn on the Citrus Exchange Bank of San Anselmo, and all bearing the signature of one Carl Birdwell, M.D., he wasn't hard to find. It was a big place on the outskirts, and the sign on the gate said, Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged. Dr. Birdwell's cottage was one of five without bars on the window. He was spraying his roses. Ah, so that's this detectomy of Dr. Kobler's. How are those convulsions? Uh, Coordination all right? I uh, can't complain. You got the use of your fingers back? Good. Pick up those shears. I want all those ragged edges cut off the hedges. Well, why don't you uh, hire a gardener out of those uh, checks to Greer's and use up all your ready cash? Eh? Oh, I thought you were the cystidectomy. Good Lord, you're that convolutional melancholiac. You're not allowed out on the grounds. God! Ah, now, wait a minute, Doctor. Matter. This one acting up? Take him back. I sent for the cystidectomy. This is the wrong man. You're huh? crazy. Come, Come on. Let go of me. I'm not a patient here. I'm a detective. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Sherlock Holmes. Come on, now. Back to the violent war. Come on, lay off. I got an office in San Francisco. I can prove it. One, three, seven, five, nine, six. Okay, Dr. Watson, but come on, come on. And in more time than it takes to tell, due to the guards' jujitsu, I was disrobed, straight-jacketed, and rolled into a wet sheet. A full-fledged inmate of the Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged. 
which is exactly where I belong for having taken Mr. Fox's 25 bucks. And now, back to the mad scientist caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I have been shot, stabbed, slashed, pistol-whipped, and sapped into unconsciousness. But until you have spent a night rolled up in a wet sheet, Dundee, you don't know what punishment is. You feel hot and cold at the same time, too miserable to sleep, too exhausted to stay awake. And after four hours of it, you just give up and join the crazies pushing up the daisies. There's only one thing I can say in favor of the Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged. They get the patients up early. By 6.30 in the a.m., I had been rolled out of the sheet. By quarter of seven, I had thawed out enough to be taken out of the straitjacket by an orderly. I was glad to be out of it because it was very heavy, and that gave me an idea. I picked it up and swung it. In less time than it takes to tell, I was in the orderly's uniform, out of the violent wing, and shuffling up the walk through Dr. Birdwell's rose garden and through his cottage door. Good morning, Dr. Birdwell. Good, good Lord, who let you in here? What do you want? I was trying to tell you yesterday when I was so rudely interrupted. Hey? Oh, yes, the detective. Did you say Grierson sent you? I didn't say that. I'm afraid you'll have to be absolutely specific or I can't help you. All right. My client is an inventor who claims that Mr. Grierson stole a formula from him, got a patent on it, and stands to profit to the tune of about a million bucks. The last two items check. I don't know whether Grierson's a crook or not. He's into you for 50,000 bucks, so you might know. Uh, this inventor. Pale eyes, contracted pupils, big mop of hair. That's a fair description. Fox. Raymond Fox. He's a patient. Escaped from this hospital. That man, Mr. Spade, is a homicidal maniac. If you'll jog your memory, you may recall the case. Sacramento, 1935. Sacramento. Wait a minute. Chemistry professor, lab explosion? That's the case. Two of his colleagues, whom he irrationally suspected of stealing the formula for the explosive he used to blow them up. You sure they didn't? The man was adjudged hopelessly insane. He must be returned to us. He may murder Grierson, he may murder you. But he will commit a murder if he remains at large. Perhaps more than one murder. You must help us, Spade. Like you, Doctor, I can't help unless you're absolutely specific about a couple of things. Your connection with Grierson, for instance. I invested in Grierson's firm. Uh-huh. How did Fox meet Grierson? He was allowed a certain degree of freedom here during his rational periods. I had guessed that he went through my papers or overheard one of my conversations with Mr. Grierson. Mm-hmm. Do you know he retained a lawyer? Huh? Manning, smart patent lawyer. You must think Fox has a case. Surely not. Grierson thinks so, too. You've talked to Grierson? No, but I've examined his bank statements. The bank allowed that? I told him I was Grierson's attorney. The point is, Grierson is broke. Why? Because he's paid out every penny you gave him to the order of Roscoe Manning, attorney at law. And you know what I think, Doctor? Yes? I think Raymond Fox is crazy like a fox. <laughs> I had the same idea about Dr. Birdwell, but I didn't say so. I didn't feel up to spending another night in a wet sheet. I also didn't feel up to the interview that was awaiting me outside the gates. A limousine, only a little longer than a hearse, was standing at the curb. A round pink head with a gray Homburg on it bobbed out at me from the driver's seat and said, Mr. Spade? Yeah? 
Roscoe Manning. How'd you do? About 49975 bucks less than you've done in the caper so far. <laughs> the law is a lucrative profession, my boy. <laughs> Get in. I'll drive you back to town. No charge? Yeah, I'll even give you some free advice, sans retainer. Well, sir, you are an elusive chap. I've had the devil's own time catching up with you. How did you? I won't ask why. And I am not without resources. Now, uh, as to our mutual client, Mr. Fox, uh, obviously you've learned a good deal about him. Dr. Birdwell says he's cuckoo, and it's only a toss-up which one of us he's going to blow up first. And just about what you'd expect from a medical man. If you'd listened to as much conflicting medical testimony in court as I have, you'd take them all with a grain of salt. Or should I say, soda mint. Or a sodium denadrine? That's a mysterious remark. I was just trying it on for size. It didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Well, sir... Here is my proposition. As to Fox's sanity, it's of no importance. He has money, and I think he has a case. We can always get a doctor to say he's back in his right mind. Where do I fit into your scheme? You just keep looking for Grierson. And uh, watch that secretary of his. I don't trust her. Anything else? Oh, I, I almost forgot. Here's $500, and here's your ticket to Chicago. I don't know why, but somehow I got the impression that Mr. Manning was trying to get rid of me. He should have used that ticket to Chicago himself. We stopped at Sausalito for breakfast, and the condemned man ate a hearty meal. We drove the last mile through the marina district and pulled up in front of his house. Well, sir, have a nice trip. Or oh, uh, take the car, Mr. Spade. I'll pick it up at the depot. Uh, goodbye. It's been charming. Goodbye. He backed across the sidewalk, waving, and I waved back. Then he went up three steps, put a key in his door, and opened it. It didn't do much damage to the house, but all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Roscoe Manning back together I got out of the car and just made it up the steps when it happened again. I hated the look, but I did. For the limousine had been parked with me in it was a smoking heap of scrap metal. I then headed for the nearest phone booth and pausing only to inspect it for mines and booby traps, dialed the number of Grierson Enterprises. Sam Spade. Sam, darling, thank you for the present. What present? I haven't had a chance to open it yet, but I think I can guess what it is. A traveling clock. You mean a package arrived and it ticks? Oh, darling, don't be such a tease. Now, Lois, listen. Oh, all right, I'll open it now. Throw it out the window. No, don't do that. Pedestrians, I'm some bystanders. Uh, have you got a metal wastebasket there? I think so, yes. Well, fill it up with water and throw the package into it. And ruin my lovely clock? It is not a lovely clock. It's a lovely booby trap. Oh, Oh, uh, I'm you're... serious. Manning just got one of them, and what's left of him is on the way to the morgue. Oh, I think I'm going to see. Lois! Lois! Wake up! Pour some water on yourself! Hello! Hello! Let me through here. Come on, let me through. Lois! Lois! Oh, you're okay. Glad of that. All right, she's all right now, you people. Come on, get out of here. She's all right. Come on, get up. You're not hurt. What happened? It exploded in the water. At least you had sense enough to do what I told you to. Oh, it's 
this is a new dress. Now look at it. It looks fine here. Put this coat around you. I don't think that was a very funny joke, Sam. Neither do I. Now, uh, try and forget your clothes for a minute. And try and answer a few questions for me. There isn't much time. Sam, what is it? I want you to be very sure of this, Lois. Try and remember accurately. How many people has Grasson seen since he opened this office? Well, not very many. Who's hardly ever in? That's strange. Now that I think of it, I can only remember two. Mr. Manning and that mad scientist man, Mr. Fox. Yeah, did you hear any of the conversation between Grasson and Fox? Uh, He just screamed at Mr. Grasson about how his invention had been stolen from him. Then it sounded as if they scuffled, and all of a sudden Mr. Fox calmed down. Mm -hmm. When they came out, his eyes looked funny. As if he'd been hypnotized. Yeah. Uh, what does uh, Grayson look like? Oh, he must have been quite handsome at one time. He's sort of like Gregory Peck with a mustache, only fatter and balder and older. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have put it exactly like that, but I can see what you mean. But you've never seen him. Don't make book on it, but I think I have. I made three phone calls. One to a crime reporter I don't like very well, giving him a false story on the death of Lois, Grierson's secretary. Another to my client, the mad scientist, alias Raymond Fox, and one to Dr. Birdwell. Then I went to my apartment and waited. My client arrived five minutes before the doctor. When Birdwell came in, my client said, Ah, that's he. He stole my secret formula. Now, now, Raymond, you're getting confused again. Oh. I'm the doctor, don't you remember? That's not true. Your name is Grierson. Oh. He's much worse. He's identification. Now, you must try to remember, Raymond. Nobody's going to hurt you. But you'll be much sicker if you don't remember. But I do remember. I remember everything. Do you remember setting the bombs at Manning's house and the one you sent to Mr. Grierson's office? No, 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 no. Grierson isn't dead. You're Grierson. No, Grierson isn't dead. Only that poor girl. No, no, no. She didn't steal my formula. It, it was you. Oh, you're trying to mix me up. I'm trying to help you. Now, roll up your sleeve. I'll give you something to quiet no. your nerves, and we'll go back to the hospital. Put it away, Doctor. You've helped them enough. Huh? Now, look here. This man is my patient. He needs medical attention. I won't argue with you, but I think he'd better get it from some other doctor. Right now, he's making more sense than you are. Ah, Just ah. keep on the way you're going, Spade, and I'll have you back in that wet sheet. I did it once, and I can do it again. Sit down. you got delusions of grandeur. <laughs> Stop shaking, Raymond. I said you're making more sense than he is, and I can prove it. You think you're very astute, don't you? No, I'm stupid, but I'm lucky. I should have tumbled to the whole caper when I found that you'd invested 50,000 smackers in Grierson Enterprises. When I found out that Raymond was an escaped patient, I should have tumbled to what that Denadrine vial was doing in Grierson's desk. I should have known then that you and Grierson were one and the same person. <laughs> I, I, I told when you. When I discovered that you'd paid Manning all that shakedown money, I should have known you were planning to knock him off and everybody else who could identify you. But it didn't work out that way. I got out of the car before it blew up. Dumb luck. And you can identify me as Grierson? I don't have to. <laughs> oh, God. Surely you're not counting on Raymond's sanity to that extent. He can't even remember that I was his doctor. Can you, Raymond? You're trying to mix me up. You stole my formula. I didn't kill them, did I, Mr. Spade? Now, lie down on the couch and relax, Raymond. Don't worry about a thing. Well, Doctor, what now? You relax, too. Okay, Lois, come on in. What? Lois! Why, Mr. Grierson, have you been sick? How dare you? How dare you ruin all my pants like this? You stupid girl! Okay, that's enough. Come on, get back there. Get back. Sorry, sweetheart. I didn't mean to let him get that close to you. What were you trying to do? It was an experiment, just to see what would happen. It did. So that's the way your scientific detectives work. 
For a hard-boiled chap, you have the vaguest way of doing things I ever heard of. Well, uh, plans are all right sometimes, Doctor, and sometimes just stirring things up is all right if you're tough enough to survive and keep your eyes open so you see what you want when it comes to the top or something. Uh, Spade, Dundee, I'm at home. I've uh, got two homicidal characters here, one sane and one insane. Now, if you can tell the difference... I'll let you give the story to the papers. And that, Lieutenant D, is the crop. You, uh, picked the wrong one. Biggest. It's as simple as this. Raymond Fox was the loony, but Birdwell, alias Grierson, conceived and executed the whole scheme, including the explosions. Don't worry about Fox. He's now back at the hospital working on a new secret formula. I don't know what it is, but it might be an anti-truth serum serum because that's how Birdwell got the Penetron formula, by using truth serum on the mad scientist to make him talk. Anyway, you figure it, he's crazy like a fox. His enemies are all dead around their way, and he's as snug as a rug in a bug house. Period. End of Looney Tune. Well, of all... Well, just imagine... Well, it takes all sorts to make a world, I guess. Well, I guess you never spoke a truer word, Effie, but don't forget, a stitch in time saves nine. Don't feel too badly about it, Sam. Better late than never. You took the words right out of the horse's mouth, but it's later than you think, Angel. Type that up, Angel, and while you're at it, see if you can think up a way to teach an old dog new tricks. Well, here it is, Sam, and I've been thinking over what you said. Which? About teaching an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. You're only as old as you feel, Sam. Then send in the application for my old age pension. Oh, Sam, I won't let you talk that way now. You're just tired and nervous and run down. Yeah, backaches, stay up nights, sour racket. You're just feeling sorry for that Mr. Fox. I wouldn't worry about him. As you pointed out, he's safer where he is for all concerns. Mm-hmm. And after all, necessity is the mother of invention. What's that got to do with anything? Well, he's an inventor, isn't he? Oh, that. You see? All's well that ends well. Good night, Sam. Good night, Pollyanna. Pollyanna. Oh, she's the glad girl. Oh, no, Sam, that's Shakespeare, that old... You know best. All ashore that's going ashore. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tolman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spears' absence. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. It's me, Effie. Oh, Sam, I've been worried about you. Sid Weiss was just on the phone, and he says digging up a corpse without a permit is against the law. It's all right, Effie. I just dug him up to say hello and put him back again. Oh, Sam. I'll be down in a couple of minutes to dictate my report, sweetheart. If I get lost on the way, you'll find me in City Hospital, the psycho ward, third straight jacket from the left. Date, August 2nd, 1946. To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject, death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew Jr. My secretary, Effie Perrine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again. 
someone outside, Sam. What's he look like? Um, blue double-breasted custom-made suit, Countess Mara tie, hand-tailored shirt, English shoes, hand-trimmed Van Dyke. Get me a blank check and send him in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Thank you. You, you are Mr. Spade, Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denhoff, a psychoanalyst. I, I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. <laughs> I... I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis, I think he's cute, too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh. Is this Mr. Nicolaitis one of your patients? No. No, he isn't. As a matter of fact, he... He's gotten possession of some private records of mine... Well, it, it's rather involved. Nicolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman, is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in technicolor. Well, as you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking. Yeah. This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories. The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged, it may have very serious consequences for both my patient and and for me. Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. Then I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not? Nicolaitis said I'm that a private you're... detective. When I take on a client, I take on his troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milk. If you want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I must trust somebody at... What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for $1,000. Got a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you reach him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole 10000 What time? How about in an hour? No, no, I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three or... Oh, goodness, I'm late now. I, I really... That's a beautiful watch, Mr. Denham. Yes. Foreign? Uh, yes. May I see it? My watch? Why, oh, really, Mr. Spade, I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theater well before the matinee starts at 2.30. Are you going to see me at 3 o'clock if you're going to the theater? Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance. Well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. I left my office around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. The Versailles Apartments, where Denhoff's place was, took up the whole 300 block, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face, and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... The crowd was packed in so close around, I couldn't see who'd done the Brody, but I had a pretty good idea. The cops had the sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. It took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse. Hiya, Sam. What do you want? I want to see Dr. Denhoff. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Hit a Brody out the window. 
What are you here for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks. Mrs. Daniel, please. With all due respect for your grief, I must have the keys to the cabinet where Gregory kept his confidential files. You realize that he wished me to take charge of his patients and that I am responsible. All this police and so on. We must get those files out of here as soon as possible. <clears throat> yes? My name is Spade. I am Dr. Zoya. I was poor Dr. Denno's oldest friend. If there's anything I'd like to I see do... you, Mrs. Denno, alone. But you police have already asked her so many questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm not with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denno. A private detective? He was in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Sawyer, the police won't believe me. Mm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You're telling me he didn't commit suicide. Well, Mrs. Denov, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. Oh, idiot, blind, stupid idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband, he treated suicide. He would never... No, please, it will be all right, my dear. I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, I would... Tell them, tell them. Please, Mrs. Denov. The undertaker has been arranged for burial at 7 o'clock, Beit Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's file. Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you. Okay, we'll, we'll call you now. I'm so sorry, gentlemen. This hysteria is simply traumatic condition. If I only had the time. Who can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Oh, oh you... Dr. Zoya didn't have the time, neither have I. Do you think it's murder? Who do you think kills your husband? To name someone. That's a very serious charge, Mr. Speed. Goodbye, Mrs. Denhoff. Constance Brent. You mean Constance Brent, the actress? Yes. yes. She was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband said so. Do you? And he'd, he'd written it down on his notes on her case. Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window. How about your husband and Miss Brent? Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happens. They, they call it a transference. But in this Your case, husband told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic. Yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice. Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent. I can't. It's missing. As soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police. Who could have taken it? Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died. Yeah. Why don't you say Nicolaitis last? Nick who? Skip it. Uh, where can I reach you in case... For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is. <laughs> What do you want? I want to talk to Miss Brent. Well, you can talk to me. I'm her husband. So you're Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. She's Mrs. Wallace. Now, what do you want with my wife? 
I've come to tell her that Dr. Denhoff is dead. Uh, are you sure? You try falling from a 12th floor window sometime. Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. I'm afraid it'll be a shock for Constance. Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. Uh, are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company. Claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The policy wasn't made out to her, was it? No, made out to his widow. But she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. Oh, that settles it. This is the last time I take a penny. Stand around while Puck talks his head off. Who is this person? Darling, I'm afraid this is going to be a shock. This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Denov is dead. Oh, what a pity. What happened? The police say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, oh. now, really, it's too absurd. How like a wife. What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent? Matinee at 2.30. Always. Always. And the late lamented Dr. Denov jumped at 3 o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news, uh, shock you? But of course. Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy to find? Looks like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denhoff's files. Missing? No. What is it? Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will. Does he have Dr. Denhoff's notes on my case? Could be. <gasps> this is frightful. Hot reading, huh? You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it. Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We, we don't know who this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company credentials. Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are, I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Jonathan, no police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. <laughs> found a Nicolaitis yet? Not one. I even tried spelling it backwards. <sighs> Nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Pardon me. Uh, do I hear my name mentioned? I'm Nicolaitis. Sam, I still think you're right. Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Oh, thank you. If you need me, Sam, just scream. What can I do for you? Oh, I've come for my money. What money? Of the $10,000, you remember the $10,000? Refresh my memory. Oh, Dr. Denhoff, the gentleman who visited you this morning? Oh, uh, that $10,000. Oh, you see, you see, you remember now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money. I think Dr. Denhoff is dead. That is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further. Suppose I refused. Oh, that would grieve me. In my grief, there is no telling what I might do. Dr. Denhoff's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him. Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Denhoff. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he loved. After all, as Titania says, these are the forgeries of jealousy. Titania, huh? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare. Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade. Titania doesn't appear until well into Act 2. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. 
I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes, indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama. What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Dunhoff died, your market died with him. That is a very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's always a gentleman named Jonathan Wallace. Why, you fiend. You don't mean you've sold to both of us. Mr. Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give me the money. Hand it over. In the event, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home. Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say. Excellent. At seven in your apartment, hmm? Won't that be walking into the bear's cave? In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartment. It was then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denov. I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nicolaitis was still at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat, uh, remember, Mrs. Denov? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. And what with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. He was lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nicolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. His eyes were open and he seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks in his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second, and then Polehouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here, but not like this. You boys got a smear on him yet? Sure. He's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab. Photostats, microfilm. Microfilm. Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. This Dr. Denov was my client. Man, and I was... expert. That Denov probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee. Hmm? I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you. Well, Mr. Spade? I want some answers, Dr. Sawyer, and you're the guy who can give them to me. I'm listening. Just let the questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress any of them. 
speak instantly whatever. Okay, question number one, without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr. Denhoff for many years. He had been my student in Vienna. I was his analyst, in fact. That's all very interesting, Doctor, but my question... Yes, yes. Uh, did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material manifest and hypothetical, and I came to the conclusion... No. No, it was quite impossible. You see, these paranoid... Okay, question number two. Was uh, Dr. Denhoff in love with Constance Brent? I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity towards this patient. In other words, he was in love with her? Yes. You think she might have murdered him? All psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor. Nearly all of my patients have threatened me at one time or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoya, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah? How about you, uh, Dr. Zoya? Could you have done it? That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna without funds, dependent on the kindness of my former students, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize that a man of my standing in the profession should have been dependent on the goodwill of a younger and, <laughs> I sincerely believe, less gifted man. However, I overcame this, and I didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Doctor, thanks a lot. Oh, people, people. Surely a life study. There is no accounting. <laughs> For instance, Dr. Denoff. He came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request. Yeah? He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting and so had not much time to explain. Where is this watch? Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That has been done. But Dr. Denhoff just died at three o'clock. It is a mosaic law that the deceased be buried before sundown. Uh-huh. Thanks, Doctor. Thanks a lot. Hmm. I hope I've been of some help. Doctor, you'll never know how much you've helped me. What's happened? I think I got the answers, Mrs. Denhoff. That file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Mr. Spade. Shut up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, had it microfilmed for his own private records, and destroyed the original. Really? The man who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy, if it hasn't already been destroyed. But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband. This is astonishing. How? It's in the gold watch which was buried with him. Uh, Oh, the the watch that Dr. Zoya... That's right. Denhoff made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. 
What are you doing tonight? Well, nothing. And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, Act 6. Gregory's grave? But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly? The courts don't open until 10 in the morning, sweetheart. And Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that stuff in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait. We shouldn't be doing this. If I'm wrong this time, it won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Denow, quick. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Put that flashlight in here, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look. What, Mr. Speed? What have you got? The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open it. Uh, here's my nail file. Pry off the back. Thanks, that does it. Here's the film. All right, Mr. Spade. Give me that film. Well, if it isn't the second gravedigger from Hamlet, Mr. Constance Brent. Stop crowding and hand it up to me. You better do as he says, Mr. Spade. We've both got guns. I was expecting that. Took you a long time to get here, Mr. Wallace. How did dear Constance make out as Lady Macbeth? Just give me that film. Stop being an idiot, Wallace. The cemetery is crawling with cops. Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, Spade, or you'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the pinch. Okay. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching violation of graves under the civil code number... No, you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory huh? Denov and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denov and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I... Oh, yeah, yeah. I... No, you don't. I... Oh, no. Smart of you, Mrs. Denov, to make me late for my appointment with Nicolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to pin Denov's murder on Constance Brent. But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it so that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nicolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denov, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. Uh, that reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink. that all? Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi Prison. Go on, have one yourself. Oh, thank you. Here's how. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get used to it. <laughs> Good night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. Wild Root Cream Oil presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Fred Essler was Dr. Zoya. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. It's me, Effie. Oh, Sam, I've been worried about you. 
Sid Weiss was just on the phone, and he says digging up a corpse without a permit is against the law. It's all right, Effie. I just dug him up to say hello and put him back again. Oh, Sam. I'll be down in a couple of minutes to dictate my report, sweetheart. If I get lost on the way, you'll find me in City Hospital, the psycho ward, third straight jacket from the left. Date, August 2nd, 1946. To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject, death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew Jr. My secretary, Effie Perrine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again. Someone outside, Sam. What's he look like? Um, blue double-breasted custom-made suit, count of tie. Hand-tailored shirt, English shoes, hand-trimmed Van Dyke. Get me a blank check and send them in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Thank you. You are Mr. Spade. Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denov, a psychoanalyst. I I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. <laughs> I, I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis, I think he's cute, too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh. Is this Mr. Nicolaitis one of your patients? No. No, he isn't. As a matter of fact, he... He's gotten possession of some private records of mine. Well, it, it's rather involved. Nicolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman, is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in technicolor. Well... As you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking. Yeah. This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories. The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged, it may have very serious consequences for both my patient and, and for me. Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. Then I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not? Nicolaitis said I'm that a private you're... detective. When I take on a client, I take on his troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milk. If you want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I must trust somebody. What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for $1,000. Got a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you reach him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole 10000 What time? How about in an hour? No, no, I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three or... Oh, goodness, I'm late now. I, I really... That's a beautiful watch, Mr. Denham. Yes. For him? Uh, yes. May I see it? My watch? Why, oh, really, Mr. Spade, I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theater well before the matinee starts at 2.30. How are you going to see me at 3 o'clock if you're going to the theater? Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance. Well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. I left my office around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. 
But a sign apartments where Denhoff's place was took up the whole 300 block, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face, and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... so close around I couldn't see who'd done the Brody, but I had a pretty good idea. The cops had the sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. It took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse. Hiya, Sam. What do you want? I want to see Dr. Denhoff. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Hit a Brody out the window? What are you here for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks. <laughs> Mrs. Danoff, please. With all due respect for your grief, I must have the keys to the cabinet where Gregory kept his confidential files. You realize that you wished me to take charge of his patients and that I am responsible. All this police and so on. We must get those files out of here as soon as possible. <clears throat> yes? My name is Spade. I am Dr. Zoya. I was poor Dr. Denhoff's oldest friend. If there's anything I'd like to I see do. you, Mrs. Denhoff, alone. But you police have already asked her so many questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm not with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denhoff. A private detective? He was in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Sawyer, the police won't believe me. Mm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You'll tell them he didn't commit suicide. Well, Mrs. Denhoff, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. Oh, idiot. I'm stupid idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband, he treated suicide. He would never... No, please. It will be all right, my dear. I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, I would... Tell them. Tell them. Please, Mrs. Daniel. The undertaker has been arranged for burial at 7 o'clock, Beth Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's file. Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you. Okay, we'll, we'll call you now. Oh, I'm so sorry, gentlemen. This hysteria, a simple traumatic condition. If I only had the time. Who can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Oh, oh you. Dr. Zoya didn't have the time, neither have I. You think it's murder? Who do you think kills your husband? To name someone. That's a very serious charge, Mr. Speed. Goodbye, Mrs. Denhoff. Constance Brent. You mean Constance Brent, the actress? Yes. yes. She was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband said so. Do you? Well, he had written it down on his notes on her case. Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window. How about your husband and Miss Brent? Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happens. They, they call it a transference. But in this Your case, husband told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic. Yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice. Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent. I can't. It's missing as soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police. Who could have taken it? Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died. Yeah. 
Why don't you say Nicolaitis last? Nick who? Skip it. Uh, where can I reach you in case... For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is. What do you want? I want to talk to Miss Brent. Well, you can talk to me. I'm her husband. So you're Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. She's Mrs. Wallace. Now, what do you want with my wife? I've come to tell her that Dr. Denhoff is dead. Uh, are you sure? You tried falling from a 12th floor window sometime. Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. I'm afraid it'll be a shock for Constance. Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. I... Are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company. Claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The policy wasn't made out to her, was it? No, made out to his widow. But she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. Oh, that settles it. This is the last time I take a penny. Stand around while Puck talks his head off. Who is this person? Darling, I'm afraid this is going to be a shock. This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Denhoff is dead. Oh, what a pity. What happened? The police say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, no, really, it's too absurd. How like a wife. What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent? Matinee at 2.30, always. Always. And the late lamented Dr. Denhoff jumped at 3 o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news, uh, shock you? But of course. Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy to find? Looks like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denhoff's files. Missing? No. What is it? Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will. Does he have Dr. Denhoff's notes on my case? Could be. <gasps> this is frightful. Hot reading, huh? You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it. Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We, we don't know who this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company credentials. Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are, I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Jonathan, no police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. <laughs> Found a Nicolaitis yet? Not one. I even tried spelling it backwards. Uh, nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Pardon me. Uh, do I hear my name mentioned? I'm Nicolaitis. Sam, I still think you're right. Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Oh, thank you. If you need me, Sam, just scream. What can I do for you? Oh, I've come for my money. What money? Of the $10,000, you remember the $10,000? Refresh my memory. Oh, Dr. Denhoff, the gentleman who visited you this morning? Oh, uh, that $10,000. Oh, you see, you see, you remember now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money. 
A thing stuck to Denof is that that is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further. Suppose I refuse. Oh, that would grieve me. In my grief, there is no telling what I might do. Dr. Denov's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him. Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Denov. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he loved. After all, as Titania says, these are the forgeries of jealousy. Titania, huh? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare. Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade. Titania doesn't appear until well into Act 2. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes, indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama. What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Dunhoff died, your market died with him. That is a very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's always a gentleman named Jonathan Wallace. Why, you fiend. You don't mean you've sold to both of us. Mr. Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give me the money. Hand it over. In the event, Mr. Spade, we have a saying... He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home. Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say. Excellent. At seven in your apartment. Hmm? Won't that be walking into the bear's cave? In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartment. <laughs> It was then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denov. I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nicolaitis was due at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat, uh, remember, Mrs. Denov? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. And what with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. was lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nicolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks in his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second, and then Polehouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here. 
but not like this. You boys got a smear on him yet? Sure. He's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab. Photostats, microfilm. Microfilm. Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. This Dr. Denov was my client. Man, and I was... expert. That Denov probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee. Hmm? I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you. Well, Mr. Spade? I want some answers, Dr. Sawyer, and you're the guy who can give them to me. I'm listening. Just let the questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress any of them. Speak instantly, whatever... Okay, question number one, without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr. Denhoff for many years. He had been my student in Vienna. I was his analyst, in fact. That's all very interesting, Doctor, but my question... Yes, yes, sir. Did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material, manifest and hypothetical, and I came to the conclusion, no, no, it was quite impossible. You see, these paranoid... Okay, question number two. Was uh, Dr. Denhoff in love with Constance Brent? I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity towards this patient. In other words, he was in love with her? Yes. You think she might have murdered him? All psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor. Nearly all of my patients have threatened me at one time or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoya, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah? How about you, uh, Dr. Zoya? Because you have done it? That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna without funds, dependent on the kindness of my former students, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize that a man of my standing in the profession should have been dependent on the goodwill of a younger and, <laughs> I sincerely believe, less gifted man. However, I overcame this, and I didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Doctor, thanks a lot. Oh, people, people. Truly a life study. There is no accounting. <laughs> For instance, Dr. Denoff. He came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request. Yeah? He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting and so had not much time to explain. Where is this watch? Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That has been done. But Dr. Denhoff just died at three o'clock. It is a mosaic law 
that the deceased be buried before sundown. Uh-huh. Thanks, Doctor. Thanks a lot. Hmm. I hope I've been of some help. Doctor, you'll never know how much you've helped me. What's happened? I think I got the answers, Mrs. Denno. That file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Mr. Spade. Shut up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, had it microfilmed for his own private records, and destroyed the original. Really? The man who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy, if it hasn't already been destroyed. But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband. This is astonishing. How? It's in the gold watch which was buried with him. Uh, oh, the, the watch that Dr. Zoya... That's right. Denov made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. What are you doing tonight? Uh, nothing. And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, Act 6. Gregory's grave? But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly? The courts don't open until 10 in the morning, sweetheart. And Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that stuff in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait. We shouldn't be doing this. I'm wrong. This time it won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Denno, quick. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Put that flashlight in here, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look. What, Mr. Speed? What have you got? The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open it. Uh, here's my nail file. Pry off the back. Thanks, that does it. Here's the film. All right, Mr. Spade. Give me that film. Well, if it isn't the second gravedigger from Hamlet, Mr. Constance Brent. Stop clowning and hand it up to me. You better do as he says, Mr. Spade. We've both got guns. I was expecting that. It took you a long time to get here, Mr. Wallace. How did dear Constance make out as Lady Macbeth? Just give me that film. Stop being an idiot, Wallace. The cemetery is crawling with cops. Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, Spade, or you'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. All right, all right. Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the pinch. Okay. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching violation of graves under the civil code number... No, you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory Denov and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denov and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I... Oh, yeah, yeah, I... No, you don't! I... It was smart of you, Mrs. Denov, to make me late for my appointment with Nicolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to pin Denov's murder on Constance Brent... But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it so that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nicolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denov, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. Uh, that reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink. 
that all? Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi Prison. Go on, have one yourself. Oh, thank you. Here's how. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get used to it. <laughs> Good night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. Cream Oil presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Fred Esler was Dr. Zoya. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow The Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website, at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y.com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.